Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Good morning. This morning, we're going to continue on in our series on the book of James. Now, remember that the book of James was written by the half-brother of Jesus. And this is important because we know the posturing of the person who wrote this letter. This is a man who went from mocking his half-brother Jesus. Uh, The Gospel of John chapter 7 tells us that Jesus' brothers didn't believe that he was the Messiah towards the beginning. So he went from a position of mocking Jesus to confessing Jesus as his Lord and Savior as he starts out this book. We have a man here who has been postured to have real life change because of knowing Jesus as Lord. He starts out his book saying that this is a letter from James, a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's writing to the Jewish believers who are scattered around. And so we know that this community was a group of faithful Jewish people who now believed that Jesus was the Lord, the promised Messiah of God. And James writes this letter to them, and it's full of wisdom and how to live out their life, how to live out their faith. And we can hear in it that James clearly was Uh, molded in his own life by Old Testament scriptures, Jewish scriptures. It sounds like a lot like the book of Proverbs with these nuggets of wisdom to shape how to live a life of faith. We also see that James is firmly rooted in the teachings of Jesus. We hear echoes from the Sermon on the Mount all throughout this letter. And so James, as with other New Testament writers, remember they weren't writing to have a New Testament for us. Their purpose in writing was to write out in a real moment in history to real people. They were pastors early church influencers, their goal in these letters was to to shape, to instruct a community of people trying to live out this way of Jesus in real life. And we hear that heart, that pastoral heart in the book of James. Apparently, in this section of the book, we are faced with some kind of a conflict that's come into the community of this church It seems to be that some teachers were using their words in a way that was actually causing conflict and disruption, division, and that's the moment that James is speaking into towards this community of faith. So we know here's some fractured feeling, some tension, some discord. And so as we start to read this passage this morning, I want you to just pause for a minute and posture your own heart to listen. We believe that the word is the living word of God and it is useful in instruction and in teaching us individually and as a community. So be ready and be willing to see what the Holy Spirit might uh, stand out, have uh, highlighted for you this morning as I read our passage out of the NLT version this morning. From James chapter four, starting in verse one, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. 
You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him, and he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. This is the word of the Lord. So as we look at this passage this morning, I want us to remember that James is all about faith in action. Not that you're saved by your actions. You're saved by faith because of grace alone, because of Jesus. That's it. It's God's grace to us given through Jesus. But James is really about, hey, listen, we need to talk about where the rubber meets the road in this walk of faith, because what you believe will impact how you live, how you treat others, how you use the power of your words, how you act. And here he's talking about what motivates those actions. I was listening to a Bible study by Tara Lee Cobble, and she reminded me that This community knew that actions demonstrate what you believe in your heart. And the early church historian Josephus actually had said that at some point, early church folks waited up to three years to affirm the confession of faith of a believer because they needed to see that there was true heart change that accompanied their confession of Jesus as Lord. So this is not that you are saved by your actions, but your actions will be altered by what you confess as your faith. So here we see that there's a conflict that's being spurred on for some kind of craving for selfish gain. Was it a power struggle? Somebody vying for greater influence or popularity? Wanting control? We don't know the exact situation, but James cuts to the chase. He says the quarrels or conflict is the external symptom of a deeper problem. Your motivations are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. James is getting to a question here. What is it that fuels you? What is the drive behind your action? Because James says that's the piece that's off here. What is motivating you? Your motivations have wandered off track and conflict is the result of this. I think of that song, um, I'll Spare You by Not Singing It, but the lyrics say, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Take it for your courts above. The the, uh, songwriter is saying, I know my heart is prone to wander. I know it, and I want to be honest about it. My motivations can go sideways, even if they start off pure. And so to bring this to real life, there's nothing like confessing on YouTube, so it's out there for the world for all of time, but I'm forgiven, and so I'm gonna just be honest with you and give you some examples from real life where I know this happens to me, 
And I want to be honest within community about what that might look like. Two examples that right away I could uh, think of. One of, it is, uh, one of them is when I go to fast. I try to fast as a spiritual discipline. I long to be obedient, and scriptures call us to fast. I want to be seeking after God's heart and posturing myself um, to do this spiritual discipline sometimes uh, and to be shaped by that discipline. Um, but it doesn't take me long before I think to myself, I wonder if I'm losing any weight doing this. I wonder if, if I'm going to shed some pounds through my fasting. My vanity gets in there, even if I started off with a good intention, a good motivation for my actions. I have to keep my heart really uh, honest with myself and confess that and hand it to the Lord to be purified again. Another example that gets me a lot has to do with a moment like this. I've said before, preaching to a camera is a very strange thing, but I know you're there, and in my heart, I'm here sharing good news with you and my motivation for when I come here, when I'm praying, when I'm speaking, when I'm doing this, this action is because I long to see my community shaped by scriptures. I long to see people find the fullness of the freedom that they have in Jesus. That's my motivation, but it doesn't take me long to want to please you, want to be affirmed by you, want to hear something like, good job, Melissa. Um, it's really easy for my heart motivation to wander off its original course and to try to be affirmed by other people. So those are just two examples from my own life where I know my motivations can wander. And so for us to consider today, what does it look like for us to be honest, ongoingly, in our assessment of our motivations? What drives us to do what we do? What captivates our hearts? Because that's what motivates our actions. Because our actions come from an overflow of our hearts. Our words, our actions, right? So I've been reading through the book of Jeremiah. It's an Old Testament book. Uh, and the prophet Jeremiah is sent as the mouthpiece of God to call a people back to a place of repentance after their wandering. And I've been in this book for a while now. And in chapter 17, there's this portion that stopped me up about a week or two ago. Um, it's talking about wisdom of trusting in the Lord versus, versus trusting in human strength. And within there, uh, the prophet Jeremiah says, as the mouthpiece of the Lord, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. And when we first hear that, that can sound a little scary or threatening, that, that God will know our most secret motives, because I think sometimes our motives tweak along the way and wander before we even realize it's happened. I think of the psalmist's cry when the, uh, in 139, Psalm 139, when he cries out, search me, God, know my heart, test me and let me know if there's an anxious way within me. That search me and know my heart isn't scary. God is actually letting us know, I already know your heart. I already know it's prone to wander. I know because I have placed it in you and I have grace that is sufficient for your wandering when you return. God, know, you know my heart and know when it's prone to wander. Help me to even know when it's happening. Because I think the real threat is when our motivation is slipped and we are not even aware that that has happened. 
And how does that happen? Well, James tells us it's, it's when we are faced with that allegiance. James uses friendship. Our heart connection has wandered from being connected in friendship with God, being connected with the things of this world, meaning the fallen world that is at strife and enmity with God. So what does James mean with this, this conflict? Friendship with the world versus friendship with God. So a friendship in this culture had really deep meaning, uh, more than an acquaintance or like a Facebook friend, right? That actually means that you had the same mind, same outlook, same view of reality with somebody. And so James is contrasting these two things that we see throughout the New Testament in different wording, but it's this friendship with God, which of course looks like loving God, loving others, and friendship with the world, which is looking out for number one at all costs, right? I'm summarizing those uh, definitions. But so what we're talking about is a battle of what captures our heart's affection. We see this elsewhere in the New Testament. Um, in 1 John chapter 2, 15 to 17, here's a description of what that that strife, that conflict looks like. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but they are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. 1 Peter 2.11 says it this way, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. So what they're talking about, the world isn't, it's not that the earth and creation isn't neatly bad. Genesis 1 is a beautiful creation. It's a good thing. But when enmity came in, when strife came in, there became this battle within us to crave the things of God or to crave the narrative that this world is trying to tell us. And that world is full of deceit and lies. And listen, even the pastors writing these letters knew this conflict for themselves. Uh, I won't read it, but Romans 7 talks about this, that, uh, that there is a, a power within me that's at war within my mind. There's this sense of conflict Conflict. And what's needed here is a sharpness to be aware of it, not to be um, unaware that this is going on. And this is what we hear this pastoral tone of James uh, calling us back to because James is doing just that, not just calling out the problem, but calling us back to a better way. He goes on and says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He's citing here Proverbs 3, 34. So opposing the proud, a proud is one who has an exaggerated opinion of oneself, which entails disdain for others and even scorn for divinity. It's placing self at the center of the universe. And the proud, thinking of ones who disregard people, disregard God. But James is saying, but God gives grace because God's grace is greater than this sin that can live within us, that wants to flare up this war inside of us. God's grace is greater than any of it. And that's what James is reminding us of. This is really good news. James doesn't leave us in condemnation for misplaced motivations. He's saying have a sober-minded awareness of when your motivations have wandered because he's calling the church back with a promise. 
Humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. The one who tempts you away from God and toward the world's narrative, resist this. The one who is in us, the Holy Spirit of God is greater than the one who is in this world, feeding us a false narrative of what earthly pleasure looks like versus the beautiful kind of pleasure that comes from a life of living with God and God's way of community for and with one another's flourishing. That kind of pleasure is what we're called back into. God will come close to you if you do this resisting. With the help of the Holy Spirit, God will come close to you. That's a really beautiful promise. The picture I get in my mind is the picture of the prodigal son, that parable that Jesus tells when the son has wandered. He's wandered off and disgraced his father, but the father is standing, waiting, scanning the horizon. When soon as the son turns and comes back, the father runs out to greet him. The father is longing, longing to come close to the son who has turned from that way and returned back to God return back to the Father, meaning God, sorry. That's a promise. Draw near to God. Because the church was fractured and needed healing, James calls the community collectively to approach God. This isn't just for an individual at all. He's saying the plural. Come back, community. Come back together. Check your motives. Return to God. It's for the community. He's talking about our life together, their lives together our lives together still now. It sometimes is true that community gets fractured and it hurts and we can be distant or we can be hurtful to one another. Uh, It does get fractured, it does get messy, but it's how we're meant to build each other up and live for one another. Lord, give me a heart for your community. Give me your heart. What if that was our prayer? Because what's God's motivation? We know God's motivation. It's love. God created out of an overflow of love. God's son came to the cross out of an abundance of love to do a reconciling work for you, for us, for every single person. What if we just prayed every day to have God's heart, God's motivation, to see with God's eyes that person for your neighbor, your, your fractured friendship, your fractured family, maybe. Yes, even your enemy. What if you were praying to have God's motivation towards that person? That would look like a lot of love where the world is talking and creating enmity and strife and divisiveness. We could be motivated by a love because we have drawn near to the heart of God and we can reflect that in places that are fractured and hurting and bring a different narrative, a better restoring narrative for our world around us. As I was getting ready to come here this morning, I found myself getting discouraged with this little voice in my head just saying, Melissa, you don't have anything new to share. But the fact of the matter is, as I just sat with the Lord in prayer, I was reminded it's not always about new. It's a call back to just remember God's motivation towards us as demonstrated in Jesus. His motivation is love for us, a longing to be reconciled. That's what the cross did. 
reconciled us back to a loving God who longs for our flourishing. Missio Dei, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. May we respond in faith and be a community, not of enmity and strife, but of reconciliation, of unity, of peace, as those who reflect God's own heart to the world around us. Go in peace. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.